and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker, and I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations, on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wondering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga, and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hi folks. In today's episode, I will be exploring the relationship between love and grief and how deepening our understanding of this relationship can actually create the capacity for greater resilience. Not every day feels like a celebration. Even when we are living into our aliveness and treasuring our opportunities, some days can be ringed with sadness, aggravation, and even despair. Grief is a natural and true part of our humanness. In this episode, we will explore how grief and love can coexist and how allowing yourself to feel the fullness of your grief might actually give you access to greater love. I'm excited in a weird kind of way to talk to you today about the stuff I want to talk about. So I'm glad that you're here. So we're going to bring it in and down and close our eyes together. So if you're not in a comfortable place for meditation, that's okay. You don't have to be. You can just tune in. Even amidst activity, we can learn how to sharpen the tool of our internal awareness. So take a few moments and connect to the breath that fills you on inhale and empties on exhale. And notice the places where you feel um, gripped or tight or resistant to breath, even if it doesn't feel conscious, if you can soften your awareness to see the places where maybe you're holding without thinking about it. And rather than feel frustrated or feel 
aggravated that you're holding tension in the body or even in the breath itself or in the mind. Maybe you've wrapped up a bunch of stuff really quickly to be here and you're still carrying that stress with you or maybe you've, you know, the seasons are changing here on the East Coast uh, and I hear it's smoky again on the far, far west coast of this country. So maybe you're feeling that weird transitional place of, you know, the season changing the body, adapting. So I'll ask you to hold this in its truth. Allow the breath to remain deep and be honest with how your body is feeling. In this moment, try not to change it. Instead, see if you can be with the sensation and feeling that arises. Maybe there's multiple feelings. Maybe there's lots of things to sort through. And in this place, you can also start to invite a bit of a deeper breath down into your belly. So without forcing. What happens when you soften or relax into your abdomen? And maybe relaxation doesn't feel accessible. In which case, just invite awareness to that place. So it's okay for you to hold what you hold. It's okay for you to carry what you carry. It might not even be a mistake, but how you hold it and how you carry it is up to you. So can you allow space for your truth. Even if it doesn't feel like something to celebrate today. And then still with a belly breath full, as full as it is accessible to you today. You can slowly start to blink your eyes open and come back. So, hey guys. I didn't try to resolve what you carry on purpose. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, and then we're going to practice, I hope, in such a way that allows you to work um, in an embodied level with what you're holding. But the theme of our talk today is grief and love. <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to like show up in the seat of the teacher and at the same time recognize that I'm like, I'm, 
messy, flawed, emotional human just like you guys. And I believe that both help, both spaces can be held simultaneously. I don't believe that we have to perfect ourselves in order to show up in the seat of the teacher. And matter of fact, I, over the years of working with lots of different teachers, I've found that I resonate most with those that do not try to perfect themselves and show up in their raw humanness. Um, and I aspire to do the same when I sit in this seat. So, it's a weird, it's a weird time in the world and um, I'll be bold enough to say that that's probably true for all of us in some way. Even those of us who are living a life of relative familiarity, maybe we aren't out of work or maybe we've gone back to work, maybe we're still in the same relationships, all of the things, the world has changed in a way that's palpable, it's tangible. Um, and there's, the change was, um, kind of abrupt, a bit on the sudden side. And I think for a lot of people, it brought up sadness and recognition of losing things they didn't even realize they could lose. Right. And for some people, it, it became even more intense than that. And they were losing, um, loved ones who were losing people that they were close to. Um, the interesting thing to recognize about that is that is not a new phenomenon. We just became unable to view it as something that wouldn't happen to us. We all got thrown into the, the scary abyss of our own mortality together <clears throat> and we all got to experience it on different levels. Some of that looked um, different for some people and looked different for other people. But grief became something that we maybe for the first time ever for some of us could touch, even though we all know that we're not going to last forever on some very intellectual, etheric level. We all know that everything's going to come to an end. So holding the space of grief and love seems to be um, the lesson of our time currently. <laughs> How can we recognize the potency of grief? And um, a lot of us are grieving the way the world is right now. Um, and part of that grief of the way the world is is recognizing that maybe it never was what we thought it was. So grief becomes this essential way to assimilate what's real and true um, and maybe what we were blind to. And can we do this um, without losing the capacity, not even without losing, while gaining and growing our capacity to love? Um, and this is something that I'm like, and I feel like I'm in a wrestling match with all the time because it's so easy for grief to express itself as anger. We can go so quickly in the experience of loss into the experience of blame and projection and rage 
because the depth of sadness that accompanies grief is so overwhelming that rage seems like our greatest ally and, and, and maybe is in certain moments of our experience. But when we start to run a system of rage and we evict the opportunity to stay love in love and connected, then, then it starts to create its own cycle of difficulty. Um, so my, you know, and these talks are always a little bit of rambling of where I am in my heart, in my mind, and my um, experience of the world and life and how I'm trying to make yoga a lived practice as opposed to a theoretic practice. And the first thing I want to say is, um, I'm am most committed to the truth that yoga can liberate us, but that liberation, as my friend Swati said yesterday or day before, uh, rarely feels like happiness. Liberation doesn't really feel good. It feels sometimes devastating to liberate yourself from illusions that, you know, maybe maybe some of us thought we lived in a great country, you know? Maybe some of us thought that the world was a really healthy place, you know, whatever, whatever our illusions are. And when we liberate ourselves from our illusions, the thing that happens is we grieve the fact that we have lost so much life experience, so much time, that we've invested so much of our identity on something that wasn't even real, right? And there's a, there's a part of life that is that process over and over and over. And I believe that there's a lot of spiritual systems that call us towards this without ever naming quite what it is in its full intensity. So I've been thinking a lot about the call to presence. When I ask people what they want out of their yoga, we have all kinds of applications all everywhere for all kinds of different programs and people part of the application process is to say like, what do you want? What is your um, desired receipt from this yoga practice? And everybody says, I want to be more present in my life. I want to be living my life instead of living in the past in my mind or predicting the future or living in, in things that aren't now. I really, right? Ram Dass wrote a book on it, Be Here Now. And if what happens is in order to be present, we have to learn how to love our life at its highest level in the moment and at the same time grieve that that moment will end immediately. To be present, we have to learn how to be in love and in grief simultaneously because we cannot grieve, we cannot live in presence without recognizing that that presence, that moment is immediately ending. As soon as we recognize it, it's gone. We've lost it forever. And because by and large, we're a culture, and I'm gonna speak specifically of what Stephen Jenkinson, one of my favorite teachers, calls uh, the dominant culture of North America. So as not to harangue at cultures that might not have these same issues, um, we are a culture that does not know how to grieve. We do not know how to let things go. Our ultimate defeat is when we have to give up on something that we love. 
when we have to let it go and let it move on, we feel um, like we've lost, like we've failed. I have friends on this call right now that are nurses and I know that they know what I'm talking about, right? We don't know how to sustain and hold the capacity of our own devastating feeling of loss. And it expresses itself in these ways. Uh, yoga is a great example of this. In these ways to bypass the depth and intensity of feeling and just feel good or feel better or feel happy. We've become oh, enmeshed in the uh, pursuit of happiness. The spell is written into the country's code. We have become enmeshed in this pursuit of happiness and it is preventing us from being able to experience the depth of feeling and capacity we have for others the feeling for others it's prevented us from really being able to experience that truly so my invitation to you guys today and, and it's a beautiful fall day here in the mountains of western north carolina the sun is shining the sky is blue um and it's an interesting day for me to invite you into grief grief has a connotation of darkness and heaviness and, and gravitas and, and I believe that it should but I also want to express in my personal experience that it's the it is the gateway to love so as I've said a million times and maybe you guys have heard me say it as many times one of the biggest and most impactful teachings if we can wrap our intellect around it is of Tantra is that if it's not a paradox it's not divine and so much of us define grief or loss as the opposite of love. That we love and, and then we lose. Or we love or lose. But I wanna offer that from a tantric perspective, you can't have grief without love and you can't have love without grief. And maybe you've experienced this in your intimate relationships. Anybody fallen in love recently? It is, or, or can you remember the 300 years ago when you fell in love? Falling in love feels almost like heartbreak. It has a visceral experience of loss embedded in the feeling, the somatic feeling of love. And that is a lesson, it is a teaching to us. Can we allow ourselves to feel the grief of loss and at the same time, the expansive joy of love. My sense of what resilience means is when we can learn how to simultaneously feel grief and at the same time feel love, then resilience is the outcome. We will become resilient when we can allow endings, when we can truly invite ourselves to feel the intensity of an ending not as a loss of or a failure but as an invitation into something bigger maybe the most difficult part of resilience and i know we've talked about this now since april we started these classes in april some of the most difficult strategies of resilience is that we must be willing 
to not feel good. And I'll even go as far to say as to say we must be willing to suffer. And, you know, this year with all the memes that it has produced, if it has done nothing else, it has invited us, whether willing or unwilling, into suffering. A lot of people have gone kicking and screaming. A lot of people have chose, chosen to bypass suffering rather than enter into it. But there's the few and the brave, the Virabhav, the warriors that have said, yes, I'm going to feel the shame. I'm going to feel the pain. I'm going to feel the guilt and the loss. And there's no way to translate that as joy. But I do think that there is an immense capacity to translate that as love. <sighs> to suffer the loss of what we love is the only way to fully and completely feel the love that we have. And for a lot of us, I think the process has been incredibly um, reorienting. And now we find ourselves interestingly in a struggle of having, having come out of integrity with ourselves. And I wanna give space to grieve that as well. What I mean by that is in the great pause, someday the history books will call it, call it that, in the great pause, caused by COVID-19. People took stock. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people. A lot of people that haven't taken stock of what life is to them, of the love that they share with their intimates, of the um, fragility of life, right? The fragility of our mortality, of the fragility of our relationships. A lot of people took stock and then it was so uncomfortable that the world started spinning again. And we went back to work. We went back to our daily lives. You know, a lot of us choose to wear masks now. Um, the streets were empty and the, and the air was clean and, and not full of aircraft and pollution. Everything sort of stood still for a moment. We really got to be in that experience of presence that that simultaneous experience of awe and wonder and fear and grief and loss at the same time. And then things started moving again, but whatever we discovered inside in that pause didn't move with the moving of the world, right? So there's a lot of people that feel out of integrity with where they are and who they are because the world has gone back and we're still in a place of questioning whether we even want the world that we now have. The world is no different than it was before the pause. We're different. Whether willingly or unwillingly, we got pulled into this intensity of, of fear and grief and fragility and loss and noticed how much more love we had available to us. And then it changed, but we haven't changed. I think it takes a lot of courage 
I posted about this yesterday on social media. I think it takes a lot of courage to stay in integrity with yourself when the rest of the world is telling you that it's time to start going back to normal. It takes a lot of courage. It takes the heart of a hero to say normal's not okay. Right? And, and for most of us, because we are a child, we are children, we are products of this time and place in the world, I think the necessary piece to that courage is that we grieve where we used to be. We grieve the place where we thought what was was okay. We have to be willing to endure the suffering of grieving what we thought we had in order to have the courage to not accept what we had anymore. And to me, the not accepting those things that are out of integrity with yourself is the greatest expression of love. That you love integrity, your values, your experience more than any overlaid worldview that comes down on your heart or your head, right? Like, and the grief is almost insurmountable. The feeling of separation, the feeling of aloneness, the feeling of being lost, of misunderstanding, all of the things that come with the suffering of grief come along with the absolute refusal to do anything but align in love and integrity with yourself. The love, the, the experience of love that is available inside loss. And it's not, I don't know that it's our initial experience. Um, my, my friend uh, invited me to watch it a show on Netflix with Ricky Gervais. Do you guys know who Ricky Gervais is? Have you seen this show? He's a British comedian. He's funny. But the show is about, I've only watched two episodes, um, and he loses his wife, and he's overwhelmed by grief. He, he doesn't even believe that life is worth living anymore. And he's really rageful, and he's really angry, but he has these incredible, intense, tender, intimate moments with his dog, right? So even in the midst and depth of our, that feeling of disconnection and loneliness that comes with loss, there's, there's a, always a touchstone that reminds us the fullness of life, of what's possible, right? And sometimes the recognition that we're still alive, we're still moving on when other people aren't brings up rage, brings up fear, brings up the depth of sadness. But if we want to live fully, fear, rage, and sadness are requirements. We can't try, as we often do, to get out of them. And what would it be like to go willingly into those feelings that we have such an aversion to feeling? Tantra says that if you want to feel the possibility of how grand love can be, how much joy can come from your life, you have to be willing to experience the paradox. It's opposite at the same time. 
which makes the marriage of grief and love one of the most powerful and potent marriages we have available to us. If we strive or long for more love in our lives, have we thought about grieving our losses and grieving with the full spectrum of sensation that comes with grief, with the shame, with the disappointment, with the regret, with everything that comes, every nuance of feeling that comes with loss, have we thought about an opening the door and inviting it in? So much of yoga is about slamming the door on it, trying to find a way to go around it, to only feel the good stuff, to only feel the elevated stuff and the high stuff and the joyful stuff and the one love. It's all great. And it does not, according to Tantra, exist independently of its opposite. So if we want to get to the place where we can love fully, we must also be willing to get to the place where we can lose and suffer to the capacity that we have. And I'm, we're growing our capacity for loss and suffering right now. And I think that that's a really brave thing that we're doing as humanity, that we're growing our capacity to suffer and feel the loss of our ideals, of our dreams, of our values. I think it should be recognized and honored that we're in this place of grief because it is in that grief that we will expand into, I hope, my dream, hopefully all of our dreams, into a place that is infinitely more loving. This quality of love in relationship with loss is what makes us buoyant, right? Have you ever, um, <laughs> this is a funny statement, have you ever stood on a surfboard in the ocean? I'm not gonna say surf, because I've never surfed, but I have gotten up to standing on a surfboard in the ocean. There's a, there's a rocking, you're lowering and rising, right? There's a buoyancy. This is a, we have this relationship on earth. Every time we take a step, our foot is dropping and, and lifting and dropping and lifting. There's this, this buoyancy, almost like a sine wave that rises and falls. And for some, some myth has been spread in the dominant culture of North America that says if you're not always at the top of the wave, then something's wrong. You're broken, you've messed everything up, your life is a mess, you're failing because you're not at the top of the wave. You're not feeling the lightness and the ease and looking out at the horizon. If you're, if you're in the fall, we've been taught that we've made a mistake. But I've yet to sit and look at the ocean, much less stand uh, on a board in the middle of it, and, and see the ocean not fall as much as it rises. Learning how to be in the buoyancy allows us the full depth of feeling that we've been built to feel. So when we feel out of integrity with ourselves, it's often a result of limiting our capacity to feel, limiting our capacity to love. And if you're limiting your capacity to grieve, to feel lost, to allow things to come to an end, then we're also extremely li limiting our capacity to love and care and expand and grow.
It's the depth of love and loss that allows us to feel alive in our life. Right? There's a big difference. I hear tons of teachers talk about this and I love it. There's a big difference between living and being alive. Right? Again, my nurse friends will know we can keep people alive, but it's not the same thing as living. And I think if you're here, if you're listening to me ramble, if you're, if you're drawn to practices in the mystical nature and the school of Tantra or yoga, like you want to live. You don't just want to stay alive. You want to live. And there's a huge cloud, a question that hangs over us in these stranging times that say, how do we live when nothing is how it used to be? And I want to say, I think we have to grieve it. We can't live to the fullest capacity of what is available to us until we're willing to let the old way end. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't have answers. I am not a psychic. I am not an oracle. I am a human with a lot of questions and a lot of desire to feel more than I was taught to feel. Because it is in that spectrum of sensation that it feels like life can happen. What if life is available to us more than we ever realized if we'd just be willing to allow the stuff that doesn't fit to end? Living fully is the key. It's the key ingredient to resilience. It's what allows life to shine through the difficult and challenging times. It supports our commitment to wake up another day and another day. Not success, not winning, but really, really living the full spectrum of what's available allows us to wake up another day. So many people win and still don't feel like they're living their lives. Love doesn't exist independently of grief. It exists because of it. Uh, Stephen Jenkinson, who's an amazing author and teacher, he has a, a school in Canada called the Orphan Wisdom School. Um, he wrote a book on dying. He wrote a book on elderhood. Um, he has done exhaustive podcasts in uh, COVID times. He says in his book on dying that grief is a way of loving and loving is a way of grieving. Grief is a way of loving and loving is a way of grieving. I lost a friend last week. She was a friend to so, they were a friend to so many people. So many people, strangers, people I had no idea knew who they were, have texted me or called me or emailed me and, and said, oh, I met them last week or I, I met them 
three years ago, or I met them 10 years ago, or I heard them speak here, or I heard them like, <sighs> we don't have any clue how many lives we touch. We don't have any clue how huge and impactful the web that we weave is. But if we live in integrity and truth with ourselves every day, I guarantee you, your web is weaving together loving connection that maybe you will never ever see, but it doesn't mean it ceases to exist. I believe that time is a luxury. If we choose to exist with the understanding that time is a luxury and not something that we're entitled to, then I believe that we will start to exist within this time, our time, our shared time together, every single person on this call. We're sharing time. This is ours, our time, our community. If we can stop pretending that time is a luxury, then maybe we can start allowing ourselves the opportunity to make something bigger than we thought come of our time here. If we can find the pathway to allow grief into the picture, and I mean, I hope for everyone on this call, for everyone on social media, I hope that it doesn't mean that you experience the loss of someone close to you immediately. But I promise, I promise, beyond any promise I can make ever, without a doubt, you will lose someone. You will not get out of this life without losing someone that you love. And I'm sorry if that, I'm not sorry. It is unfortunate if that hits you like a wave and takes your breath away. But the opportunity to feel the possibility of being hit by a wave and having your breath taken away is part of what it means to be living your life and making the space for that in your practice, making the space for the possibility that this time that you have with your friends and your family and your coworkers and in your job and doing your inspirational work in the world, if you can make the space, just this, the tiniest little crack to understand that that is a luxury and not an entitlement, then maybe we'll start choosing what we do with that luxury more wisely. Right? And I know there's so many people in this time that are just trying to get through the day and it, it's heartbreaking. I grieve those lost moments of just trying to get through the day when these days will end for all of us. And the days will end for every single person that we know, bar none. 
And what if we don't try to get through the day anymore, but we learn that every moment of every day is the opportunity to not only love it as fully as possible, but grieve that it is going. That we cannot hold it, that it is not ours to be owned or claimed or won or lost. And then what will you make? What is it Mary Oliver said? What will you do with this one precious life? Like it, what will you do if every moment is an opportunity to love and grieve? And I know that those are hard questions because then they start making you question what you've done with your life. But friends, start questioning what you've done with your life. Start now. Because time is a luxury. It is not an entitlement. Being willing to have this conversation with yourself, being willing to show up and have this conversation with me, it's not much of a conversation because I'm just talking, but it's brave. It's brave to befriend the ending of things. It's brave to be willing to recognize that nothing will last. And when we recognize that, and I'm sure that you've read the beautiful books and the beautiful poetry of people so much more talented than me, saying that it is at the end of their days that the flowers got brighter and the sky got bluer and the smell of the bread baking on the corner got more amazing, right? And every time we read these things, we think, oh, I want to live my life, right? How many times have you heard? I want to live my life like every day is my last day. And what I'll say to that is great. Start grieving every day. Not just on the days where you feel sad, but on the every moment that you've experienced the loss, take the time to feel the experience of the loss. Become practiced in the art of grieving. And the more you become practiced in the art of grieving, the more capacity you have to be practiced, to be celebratory in the art of living and loving. When we refuse to grieve, we cut love off at its source. When we cling to the outer world getting better as the reference point to our inner world and proving we are robbed of the opportunity to be resilient. We project the need for the outer world to get right for us to be okay. And then we can't become buoyant. We can't be in relationship with love and loss because there is this requirement that everybody else gets their shit together for it to work for us. And where did our time go? We've lost all of our time waiting on everybody else to get their shit together. When we choose happiness over the truth of our experience, we bypass the opportunity for freedom. That doesn't mean that we can't feel happiness. I feel happiness all the time. 
but it's a spectrum. It's a range of emotion of which happiness is one. And I know that every person on this class, every person on social media has more capacity to feel than just the feeling of happiness. And feeling happy only is a fraction of living. We don't wanna just live that tiny sliver of happiness and chase it. We're chasing it like hungry ghosts, as they say in yoga. We are chasing it like it is a commodity. And we are forgetting that life is in its fullest form, all the emotions available to us and accessed skillfully responsibly, intelligently. We can and should feel happiness. I feel like I'm getting this like rep of being like the, the yoga teacher that only wants to suffer and feel bad, but it's not true. I love feeling joy. I love, life is juicy. If you've hung out with me, you know that I treat like life like it's a, um, a pear in the fall. I'm really obsessed with pears right now. <laughs> They're perfectly ripe and juicy. And when you bite into them, you get pear juice all over you. And it's the best thing ever. And it's available because the leaves fall. It's not available to you. I mean, it is available to you year round. And that's another conversation for another day. I don't know if it should be. I don't love a pear any other time of the year like I love it in the fall. Right? The juiciness of life is the result of the willingness to feel the immensity of sorrow and suffering that is available to us. And, and friends, that is where empathy is born. That is where true compassion lies, not in the rehearsed structures of gratitude and compassion, but in the willingness to feel its opposite to go way down into that and come out the other side, recognizing that there is a whole other realm of emotion available at the same time, right? So we can feel joy and at the same time we can feel sadness. It's okay to watch the debate and feel at once sorrowful and afraid and look at your lover sitting next to you and feel joy and love and overwhelmingly safe and good. It's okay to feel it all at once. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to try to feel it all at once as much as you can. We might, and when I say might, that is totally not true. What I mean is we must stop performing happiness where it doesn't actually exist and instead allow ourselves to feel the truth of our feelings. To learn how to be in integrity with ourselves is the path forward. What happens when we allow ourselves to feel sadness or loss or disappointment or shame or grief and ending is that we make friends with it. 
we recognize it not as something to avoid, but something to welcome in. And when you can welcome those feelings of disappointment and shame and loss and grief in yourself, you start to be able to welcome them in others. And when you can allow and recognize those feelings of loss and shame and grief in yourself and open that doorway to the light of love, you can also start to do that with others even when it feels impossible. The game of Tantra is to learn how to coexist together at the same time, all at once, simultaneously. So can you lose and love at the same time? Can you allow your losses to grow your love and your love to create more space for your loss? I'm almost done with my notes. I haven't cried yet, so I feel really happy about that. I want to invite you out of the cycle of thinking that loss is something that needs to be fixed or corrected that when someone else in your presence is feeling pain, that we have to stop their feeling pain. Being able to hold space for someone else's pain when you're not sure how to hold space for yours, that's an opening, that's an entry point. If you're not sure how to grieve what you've lost, and even if what you lost is that stillness that came in the pause, even if what you lost was your job or your lover or a connection with a friend that now you don't see eye to eye with. There's a lot of those, huh? Can you feel it? Can you allow yourself to grieve it? That's the game. Don't pretend like it's not important. Please, Try not to go towards righteousness as a way to hide from the hurt. When we're allowed to feel exactly what we feel, we become engaged with agency in exactly where we are. And we stop trying to deny or sugarcoat or bypass the experience of now. When we refuse the sadness and pain of grief, we project it out, according to Tantra, into our environment so that we may learn what we cannot see. So if you find yourself constantly in opportunities to grieve, constantly in experiences where you are called to experience loss, then from a tantric perspective, that is an invitation to go into your own loss, to go into your own experience. Because as you become more skillful in presencing yourself internally, it will start to express itself externally. I don't know that your external world and I am in no way guaranteeing, I don't think you will ever be free of loss. Matter of fact, and I don't mean this to sound cruel, but I hope for you that you will never be free 
of loss. I don't know that that's the right direction to go. But we can actively choose to enter the experience and allow it to be something that enlivens us, that gives us the full capacity to live. When we take agency in our endings, when we allow ourselves to feel the devastation and the heartbreak, oh, and you guys know this one, and the vacuum of absence, we don't stop losing, but we do become more skillful at experiencing it, more willing to feel it and to hold and support others in it. And I believe that that willingness to feel it and hold and support others in it might just be what love is. Maybe. <sighs> Yoga is the practice of love and grief coexisting. And resilience is the practice of love and grief coinciding. So how do we start living in a place where loss is a part of our lives and we can respect it as such and be brave enough to be the warriors that are willing to feel it and not try to deny it or bypass it? That's the game we play. Um, if you've hung out with us, and I know a lot of you have for a while, if you've hung out with Vera Bhava Yoga, we invite you into that place. Um, and we really do think that it's maybe an interesting and convoluted way to change the world, but we do believe that it's going to make a difference. Hi, folks. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to access the asana practices affiliated with each episode, please check out our webpage, www.virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. That's www.virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. And take advantage of our online classes, programming, and apparel by using the discount code PODCAST2021 to save 20% off everything on our website. Thanks for listening.